I'm delighted that you're here. We have visitors with us. We're glad that you've come, and we hope you can come back and be with us again as we continue our studies from the Scriptures and worship of God this evening and Wednesday evening and other times we may be gathered together. I hope you've got your Bible with you and eager to take that and study with us. And I want us to begin by turning to the book of Psalms, if you will. And I want us to, you might be turning to the 39th Psalm is where we're going to begin. And I want to establish this principle that being a servant of God affects the way one talks. It certainly affects the way we act, but it also affects the way we talk. Here is what the psalmist said. He said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. What I learned from that is that being a servant of God, which we claim to be servants of God, has everything to do with the way that we talk. Jesus said that we will give an account for the things that we say. We're going to give an account for our actions, the things we do, but also the things that we say. Here's what he said. He said, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Every idle word. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Certainly our actions come to judgment, but we may be condemned or we may be justified based on what we've said. Have you thought about appearing before the judgment bar of God and the question coming up of what you have done in your life? He said, well, sure, I've thought about that. Have you thought about it coming up that here is what you said, and that'll come to judgment? Here's another principle. And that is how we control our tongue has a reflection upon the wisdom or the lack thereof that we have. Listen to what the proverb writer said in 17 and 28. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. Even the foolish man, when he controls what he says, people say he, was, he used at least some degree of wisdom there by controlling his tongue. Now, last Lord's Day, we talked about the Christian's battle with anger. Talked about the root of the problem and the problem itself and the answer to the problem. Today, I want us to focus on the Christian battle, but the Christian's battle with his tongue. We battle with anger, we battle with our tongue. We're going to talk about controlling what we have to say. Let's start with this. It is a well-established principle through the scriptures that the tongue is hard to control. And we're going to give evidence of that, but we know that from experience, but the Bible warning about that, and we're going to compound some passages. By that I simply mean we may see a warning here, and we'll notice it again, and we'll notice it again, because I want you to get the flavor of how often the Bible warns about the danger of the tongue, suggesting that we as Christians battle with the tongue. So it's hard to control. Let's start with the fact that the tongue cannot be trusted. The tongue cannot be trusted. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of James. Open your Bibles to the book of James chapter 3 and notice what verse 8 has to say. The text says, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison." The tongue can no man tame, and I'm learning from that the tongue cannot be trusted. It doesn't mean it can't be controlled at all, because other passages tell us to control the tongue. What it simply means is it can never 
be the kind of thing that you let take off all the restraints of the tongue because I can fully trust the tongue. I can, I can trust what my tongue's going to say. I can just let it roll and it's going to be all right. Listen to Matthew Henry. He said the apostle does not intend, speaking of James 3, 5, to represent it as a thing impossible, but as a thing extremely difficult, which therefore will require great watchfulness and pains and prayer to keep it in due order. And sometimes all is too little, for it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Brute creatures may be kept within certain bounds. They may be managed by certain rules, and even serpents may be used so as to not hurt with all their poison. But the tongue is apt to break through all bounds and rules and to spit out its poison on one occasion or another, notwithstanding the utmost care. So that not only does it need to be watched and guarded and governed, as much as an unruly beast or a hurtful poisonous creature, but much more care and pains will be needful to prevent the mischievous outbreakings and the effects of the tongue. I say amen. Secondly, continuing this idea of it's hard to control, I want us to see the tongue must be bridled. It's a picture of putting a bridle on a horse. Notice what James chapter 1 and in verse 26 said. If anyone among you seems to be religious, that is, you make the claim of having a relationship with God, I'm in a right relationship with God, is what you're claiming when you say, I am religious. And he does not bridle his tongue. He deceives his own heart and his religion is useless. This has everything to do with making your religion useless if you're not bridling the tongue. But here's the point I want you to see. Just like putting a bridle on a horse so you control the horse, and you keep it under control, we must bridle the tongue. The two chapters later, chapter 3, verse beginning at verse 2, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Now notice what he said. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. We can control this large animal of a thousand pounds or more, but just putting a bit in their mouth and we can guide them wherever, just like we can also guide a ship. Although they are large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. But then he goes on to say later in that same context, the tongue can no man tame. He has a hard time controlling it, but it must be bridled like we bridle the horse. More about that in a moment. Here's the third principle about it's hard to control. The tongue has abundant warnings. All through Old and New Testament, there are abundance of warnings to watch about the tongue. Be careful about your tongue. Now let's get a sampling of that. Let's start with Leviticus chapter 19 and in verse 16. The warning is given there not to go up and down as a tailbearer. That's all I want you to see at this juncture. Don't go up and down as a tailbearer. In other words, be careful what you say and what you repeat and what you tell. More about that in just a moment. You remember Psalm 39. We started there. The psalmist said, I must guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I'm just wanting you to get the flavor. There are abundant warnings about the tongue. There is also Proverbs 21 and verse 23. The one who keeps his tongue keeps his soul from trouble. There's problems that are created with the tongue. I want to suggest to you while we're in Proverbs, nearly every chapter... Not every chapter, but nearly every chapter in Proverbs will warn something about the tongue. There will be something there. It may just be one verse. Sometimes it's four or five verses in that same context that say something about the tongue. That tells us that there is a problem with the tongue. Jesus, we've already quoted, that will give an account of every word. 
First Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, that the one who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. If you want to enjoy life and have a good life that involves controlling and restraining your lips, James chapter 1 says we need to be slow to speak, and we also, verse 26, need to bridle our tongue. We've made two references already to James chapter 3 in the context of teaching and the tongue and wisdom that the tongue has to be and must be controlled though it's hard to handle is the point from James chapter 3. All of that suggests it is a problem. It is hard to control. But let's go further. The tongue can cause us even to sin. And what we mean by that, it's not just that life would be better if you control your tongue. Things will go better and smoother for you if you control the tongue. But rather, on the other hand, it can involve sin. Let's notice in Romans chapter 1, 29 and 30. What's interesting about Romans chapter 1 is this is in the context of the Gentiles' list of sin. This is what made them such as in need of the gospel is because they're deep in sin. Chapter 2 says the Jews are in the same condition. But verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness... Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers. Verse 30, backbiters. That's far enough to make our point. What I want you to see, enlisting all the sins of the Gentiles. Well, yeah, they're guilty of homosexuality and murder and adultery. I got all of that. But they're whisperers and backbiters. They are sinning with their tongue. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 20, this is the works of the flesh. Those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You're familiar with that text. There's idolatry, sorcery, hatred. Notice some things that involve the tongue. Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies. There are a number of things mentioned that involve the tongue. It involves sin. We see the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and in verse 20. There are whispers. We'll come back to that context in a moment. Now let's talk about the fact the tongue takes constant work. I'm trying to drive at the point it's hard to control. You can't trust it. It has to be bridled. Abundant warning says it's hard. It even can cause us to sin. It takes constant work. Which simply means you never, none of us ever master the tongue. We never get to the point we can fully trust the tongue. That we can just take the bridle off and say, you let it do whatever it wants to do because I know I can trust it. It's never mastered. We must constantly hold the reins and hold a tight reins on the tongue. Constantly guiding. Constantly nudging it in the right direction and back in another direction. It's always an area wherein we can improve and seek to do better in controlling the tongue. It is a constant evil. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison, James would say. So now I know it's hard to control. That makes it means we have a battle. We've got a battle with the tongue. Here's the second thing we need to see. Let's talk about what the tongue can do. What can be accomplished or the damage that might be done by the tongue. So you say, I, I understand this general principle of control, but what, what are you saying could be done if I don't control the tongue? Well, let's start with this. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. I can possibly sin against a brother by the use or misuse of the tongue. 
Now, verse 15, 16, and 17, in this context of Matthew 18, does not specifically mention the tongue. It just mentions, I can sin against my brother. Well, let's get the context and see what it says. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he is, you've gained your brother. Well, I don't need to read the rest of that to get the point. The point is, it's possible I could sin against my brother or my brother could sin against me. You see, that could be done in word or in action. It might be something I do against someone that I've sinned against them, but it could be something I said against them. It could be how I responded to him. The manner in which I responded, the tone with which I responded, the attitude with which I responded. It could be a charge I made that was unfounded. I accused him of something that he did. There's no evidence. It could be a burst of anger or wrath that I poured out upon him. I could sin against my brother. Here's another thing that I could do. I could be guilty of slander. So if you don't have your Bible open, I encourage you to get your Bible. We're going to notice several things in Proverbs because I've already mentioned, Proverbs mentions so many pass- in so many passages the dangers concerning the tongue. Go to Proverbs 10 and in verse 18. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips and whoever spreads slander is a fool. We'll define slander in a moment. I want you to get the idea that the warning is, here's what you could do. You could slander somebody with your tongue. Let's go to the book of James, chapter 4, and beginning at verse 11. James warns, he doesn't use the word slander, not in the New King James. The, some other translations do use the term. But I want you to notice at verse 11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren, but he who speaks evil of a brother judges his brother and speaks evil of the law and judges the law. What's that mean? It means when you slander your brother, you become a judge of the law because the law said don't do it, and you did it anyway. That means you judge the law as being not a good law. I'll do whatever I want to do. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge, he said. Let's go to another passage now. In 1 Peter, go over to 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 1. 1 Peter 2 and in verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice and and all deceit, envy, hypocrisy, Envy and all evil speaking. In some translations, we'll use the word slander. What is the idea of slander? Slander, according to Vine, says it means accusing falsely, given to finding fault with the demeanor and the conduct of others and spreading their innuendos and criticisms in the church, destroying someone's character, destroying someone's reputation by spreading those innuendos. I'm defaming them. I'm speaking evil of them. Here's something else I can do with my tongue. I could be a busy body. Let's go to the warning given to young women in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and in verse 13. That his warning was that they may learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not. Because they're idle, they're doing things and saying things they shouldn't be saying. They're mentioned as being gossips and busybodies. Well, we'll mention one of the passages and then we'll define what a busybody is. 1 Peter 4 says that we're not to suffer as an evildoer or as a busybody. In other words, you ought not to be engaged in things that may cause you problems. And one of those is being a busybody. What's the idea of being a busybody? Vine says it means to be working roundabout instead of at one's own business 
to be meddling with or bustling about other people's matters. Some are not busy with their own business, but are over-busied with that of others. That is, sticking our nose in someone else's business and talking about things that have nothing to do with our business. Where I'm beginning to run my mouth about what's going on in somebody else's life when, when really it's none of my concern. Someone once said that the idea of gossip is, the best definition of gossip is, saying something you like about somebody you don't. And you think about that and it'll hit you in a minute. Saying something you like about someone you don't. That is the idea of gossip. When I'm saying things I like to say about somebody I really don't like. Perhaps that is the idea of gossip. Here's something else I can do. Backbiting. Now this is interesting because in Romans 1, if you were to list the sins of the heathen world, the Gentile world, you probably, I probably wouldn't have either listed one of the things they do, and I might mention sins of the tongue, but he does in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 30. We've already read this. They're backbiters and haters of God. New American Standard says they're slanderers, very closely connected with that. Look at Proverbs 25. Now, this one is an interesting passage of the idea of a backbiter. Let's go to the Proverbs, the 25th division, and look at verse 23. Proverbs 25 and verse 23. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. We're talking about what a backbiting tongue will do, but I'm interested in defining backbiting here. And that is, Brown, Driver, and Briggs says that this word simply means covering or a hiding place or secrecy. You get the picture that here is not just slander where I'm out in public. It's not that I'm defaming their character to their face, but I'm working behind the scenes and I'm working in hiding and I'm covering and I'm doing this in secret and consequently I'm destroying their, their, their character. I wouldn't say it to their face. I wouldn't say it where other people may repeat it, but I am going to say it to people in a circle where I think I might have some influence and I'm backbiting. Let's go to the Psalms. Do you remember Psalm 15 talks about the, the great invitation to be in the house of God? And the question is, who shall abide in the tabernacle of God? Who will do that? And the answer is given, he who does not backbite with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor. God didn't think much of backbiting. That's one of the things that I can do with my tongue. Here's something else that I can do damage with my tongue. I can just talk too much. The more that I talk, the more apt I am to say something wrong. Let's notice some of the warnings about talking too much, telling too much. Let's go to Proverbs, the 15th division, and notice at verse 2, Proverbs 15 and in verse 2, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pour, pours forth foolishness. And what is the proverb saying? Well, the tongue of the, the wise uses knowledge rightly, that is a wise person weighs out carefully what he's going to say, but the fool doesn't weigh it out at all. He just talks and he talks and he talks. That's one of the things I could do. Let's drop down a few verses. Look at verse 28, same context, Proverbs 15, and notice at verse 28. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. That is, the righteous person, the wise person, thinks before they speak. But the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. That is, they say, and they don't think about what they're saying. They talk too much. Let's go over a couple of chapters this time. Go to Proverbs 17 and look at verse 27. He who has knowledge spares his words. 
but a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. A wise person is sparing with their words. He holds on to his words. He doesn't let a whole lot of words out. He's careful how he chooses his words. More about that in a moment. Let's go to one more in the book of Proverbs. Let's go to Proverbs, the 29th division, and look at verse 11. Proverbs 29 and verse 11. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds him back. A wise man holds back what might be going on in his mind, but a fool tells you exactly how he feels. He wants you to know everything that's on his mind. So what is it the tongue can do? I could sin against my brother with my tongue. I could slander with my tongue. I could be guilty of busy being a busybody. I could backbite. I could just talk too much and tell too much. What I might be telling we'll cover in just a moment. Let's move to a third area now. This is the battle the Christian has with his tongue. It's a constant battle. It's hard to control. We know what it can do. Let's list some things of the effect that it can have. Now suppose I'm not controlling my tongue. What kind of damage can I do? I know I can backbite. I know I can slander. But what kind of damage can I do with the tongue? Well, again, let's go to the book of Proverbs. So if you've left there, let's go back to the book of Proverbs. Let's go to the 11th division of Proverbs. And notice in verse 9, it's possible that I could destroy my neighbor. I could destroy their name, their reputation. A hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. But through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. That neighbor may be part of your family. That neighbor may be part of some of your brethren. That neighbor may be a co-worker. That neighbor may be somebody you know very, you're very close to, but by spreading the things you spread and saying the things you say, you've destroyed their name and their reputation and their character. There's something else I could do. Let's go to Proverbs. While we're in Proverbs 11, look at verse 13. We could reveal secrets. In other words, we could tell things that ought to have been kept quiet. Some things ought to be a secret. There may be some things where someone has confided in you or you have access to information that you ought not be spreading everywhere. Notice what the text says, verse 13. A tellbearer reveals secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit conceals them out. You don't have to tell everything you know. You don't have to repeat everything you've heard. You don't have to let everybody know you have that information. Let's go again to Proverbs, the 20th division. And in verse 19, he that goes about as a tellbearer reveals secrets. I just want you to get the flavor. I know it said the same thing, but get the flavor of how often and how much the Bible warns about the dangers of the tongue. Here's something else of the effect that it can have. Let's go to the 16th chapter, Proverbs 16, and in verse 28. It's so strife, a perverse man so strife, and a whisper separates the best of friends. Keep your Bible open there. We're coming back to that verse next in just a second. So what can it do? Well, it can sow strife. It can sow strife in a nation, but it can sow strife in a church. It can sow strife in a family. Families that are torn apart are often torn apart because of words that have been uttered. Same thing in a church. It can do this. It can separate friends. Same verse. Let's go to 16 and 28. 16 and 28, a perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Sometimes people who had the best of relationships, they were the best of friends, they're torn asunder and ripped apart and will never speak again because of words that were said. Let's go to the next chapter. Notice in chapter 17 and in verse 9. 
He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. If he just kept his mouth shut, it might not have happened. But now the, the friends are separated. Do you know what else it can do? Let's go to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Go to the New Testament this time. Galatians chapter 5, and notice in verse 15, that it can destroy a church. He said, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Sometimes local churches are just, just abiding and devouring and they're fussing and they're fighting and, and they're factionalizing to the point the church is just disintegrating. Some local churches have been destroyed. Go back to James. We started there a little bit ago. James chapter 3. It can be, here's the damage that I'm wanting you to see. James chapter 3 and in verse 8. He said, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Your tongue can have the damage and the danger of dishing out poison to people. He said, man, I wouldn't go around passing out poison and asking people to drink poison. And I wouldn't be spraying poison all around for people to breathe and to drink, etc. I wouldn't do that. But our tongue is like poison. Same context, back up two verses. He says, it's like a fire. The tongue is a fire in a world of iniquity. You say, I don't like playing with fire. I'm scared of fire. I'm, 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 I'm scared of that because I'm afraid it'll spread and, and do damage. Our tongue is like a fire. It sits on a fire, a world of iniquity, and does great damage. Let's go to the Proverbs, and I'm just going to hit these verses lightly because we're going to say more about these verses in just a moment. Let's go to Proverbs 18 and start with verse 13, then we'll drop to verse 17. Trying to talk about the effect that it can have, and we often talk without having all the facts. In other words, we get pieces of information, we have partial information, and we jump in and we start talking. We don't have all the facts together. I've done that. Perhaps you've done that as well. Look at Proverbs 18 and in verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame. We'll examine that a little more closely in a moment. Look at verse 17. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. There's two sides to that story. All I want you to see here is this. I want you to see the effect the tongue can have. I can destroy my neighbor's name and reputation and character. I can reveal things that ought not have been revealed. And now they're exposed. I can create strife. I can separate friends. I can destroy a church. I can be like spreading poison and fire. And I can be talking without having all the facts and spreading false information. But finally, let's talk about how to prevent problems. We've established the fact that every one of us as Christians, or non-Christians for that matter, are battling with the tongue. It's, it's hard to control. And I know what it can do, and I know the effect that it can have. How do I prevent problems? Well, let's go back to the Proverbs now. First of all, let's use restraint. And let's just look at several passages that talk about restraining the tongue. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 10. And in verse 19, here's some passages that are going to tell us that we need to learn to restrain the tongue. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. You want to be known as being wise? Then use some restraint. Hold the tongue in. That's wisdom. Well, while you're in Proverbs, let's go over to the 15th division. Go to Proverbs 15 and look at verse 7. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. That is, the, the fool doesn't, doesn't disperse knowledge. He's not restraining himself. 
but the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, the text says. Here's another passage. Let's go over to the 17th division now. Proverbs 17, and look at verse 27 and 28. Now, I don't apologize for the fact that some of the verses are repeated in different sections because they're making similar points. We're just seeing, again, the compounding evidence. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Notice the sparing of the words. He's using restraint. And even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. We read that as the beginning of our study. So here's what I'm learning from that. You don't have to say all that you want to say. I don't have to say everything that's on my mind. I don't have to say everything I know about that, inf that, that piece of information. I don't have to say everything I know about somebody. I don't have to say everything I know about the circumstance. I don't have to reveal everything I know. I don't have to say everything that I would like to say. Use restraint. We're talking about how to prevent problems. Here's the second thing of how to prevent problems. How do I get control of the tongue? Be careful what you say to others and about others. Be careful what you say to and about others. What you tell others might have been confidential information. Someone may have confided in you and told a secret to you of their problem and now you're telling that. Be careful what you tell. What you should say could be taken different than what you intend. So even if I'm going to say this, I need to be careful how I word that because it may be taken different than what I intended to say. Let's look at a couple of warnings. Let's go back to Proverbs 11. We've been to Proverbs 11 already. Proverbs 11 and in verse 13. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who's a faithful, matter, a faithful spirit conceals a matter. He's trying to be careful. He's trying to be careful what he says to and about other people. While we're in that book, let's jump over to the 29th division. Proverbs 29 and look at verse 11. 29 and verse 11. A fool vents all of his feelings. Again, I don't apologize for having repeated some of these verses. A fool vents all of his feelings, but a wise man holds him back. He's trying to be careful what he says to and about other people. James 1 says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. That, again, has to do with being careful what I say to and about others. Now, what you say may be repeated, and you may be quoted, and you might not want to be quoted. So you reveal the secret, you reveal something, and someone may go off and quote you on that and give you as the source, and now you may be embarrassed. Here's something else. We're talking about how to prevent the problem. Be careful how you choose your words. Be careful how you choose your words. Make sure your words convey what you want to convey. Quite often people will make a statement that could be construed in several different ways and then they get upset because people misunderstood them when they weren't very careful with their words. So how do I need to be careful? Well, let's start with this. Let's go to Proverbs 15 and in verse 1. I might want to look at whether or not I'm using some tact. How am I wording this? Not always what I'm saying, it's how I went about this. Am I using some tact? A soft answer turns away wrath and a harsh word stirs up anger. How did I approach that? Use some tact. When you talk to somebody about what's going on, maybe you want, you want to correct something in their life, but maybe the tact, how you go about that, has everything to do with how they respond. Proverbs 15.1 says so. 
Think before you speak. Look at chapter 15, same chapter we're in, Proverbs. Look at verse 28. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer as he thinks about how he answers. He thinks before he speaks. Now, while you're in Proverbs, let's back up to Proverbs chapter 12 and look at verse 18. Proverbs 12 and in verse 18. There is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. He thinks about how it comes across. He thinks about how, he, how it's going to be interpreted. He thinks about how his words will be, uh, impact his hearer. He thinks before he speaks. Let's go to Proverbs 15 again. We just left that, so let's go back to Proverbs 15. Watch about the timing. It may not be what I said. It might not be the words. It might not be the tone with which I said it. It may be the timing of what I said. Look at Proverbs 15 in verse 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. The timing is just right. You remember Eliphaz in the book of Job told Job that God will bless you with more children. His children just died. He was right about that. He had no way of knowing about that, but his timing stunk. His timing stunk. You don't say that at a time like Job was going through Here's another thing about using uh, some restraint or preventing problems. Be careful what you repeat. Go to Proverbs. I said we'd come back to these two verses. So let's go to Proverbs 18, and we'll start with verse 17, and then we'll back up to verse 13. Be careful what you repeat. Someone has given you information, and now you're ready to take that and repeat that, and have you heard? Did you know? The proverb writer says there's two sides to that story, sometimes three. Let's get the proverb. This, this, these two verses, verse 13, verse 17, get, keep you out of a lot of trouble. So pay attention to verse 17. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. So here comes someone in a dispute, and they tell you their side of the story, and you think, how awful, terrible. I, I've got to tell other people how you've been treated. That sounds like he's telling the truth until the neighbor comes and examines him. Let me footnote. That doesn't suggest that anybody's lying in the matter. You say, well, my, my friend told me this story, and they wouldn't lie to me. They may have a different pers perspective, though. They may not be lying. That's their perspective. There may be more information they haven't told. So remember, there are two signs to that story before you repeat something. Now let's go to verse 13. I said we'd come back to verse 13. Don't, don't jump to conclusions that are unfounded. He who answers the matter before he hears it is folly and shame. In other words, the person who jumps to a conclusion before all the data is in, that's foolish. I know there's more to be gathered, but I've already concluded this one is the one that did wrong. You don't have all the data yet. You don't have all the information. Let's not be repeating that. That'll keep us out of a lot of trouble. And then finally, let's talk about giving the benefit of the doubt. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and in verse 7. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and in the description of love, verse 7 says, here's what love does. It bears all things, and it believes all things. Now, that doesn't suggest I believe anything that comes along being gullible. I just saw in the Proverbs, don't do that. 
What do you mean believe all? It means give the benefit of the doubt. Some translations will so render it, a little looser translation, but it gives that idea of giving the benefit of the doubt. Here's what Barnes commented on that. But it must mean that in regard to the conduct of others, there is a disposition to put the best construction on it to believe that it may have been actuated by good motives and that they intended no injury and that there is a willingness to suppose as far as can be that what was done was done consistently with friendship, good feeling, and virtue. What's Barnes suggesting? The idea of giving the benefit of the doubt or believing all things means put the best construction on what they said and what they did that they meant well by that. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Clark says it is ever ready, that is love, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. That means believe, the idea of believing all things. Will credit no evil but on the most positive of evidence. Give the benefit of the doubt. Let's go again to the Proverbs in this connection. That is giving the benefit of the doubt. Notice Proverbs 14 and in verse 15. Proverbs 14 and in verse 15. The simple believe every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. See, the simple, the foolish person, the person who doesn't have wisdom and understanding, believes everything that falls before them. But the prudent man considers well his steps. He's going to give some consideration to what's going on. I might need to ask the question, do I have all the evidence? Before I repeat something. Is there another explanation than the one I'm trying to tell? Brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so did X, Y, Z, and here's what, what they meant by that. Here's what they were doing. Really? Is there another explanation for that? We've already looked at Proverbs 18, 13. He that answers a matter before he can... Uh, can uh, it's folly and shame unto him. He answers a matter before he hears it. That's foolishness. Let's go to one last passage, and the lesson will be yours. Let's go to the book of Proverbs 29. Let's go to Proverbs 29 and in verse 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Be careful about us uttering hasty words. And I've got some information, and I'm going to repeat that. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to tell other people, when I don't have all the information, I don't have all the facts. Give the benefit of the doubt. What have we seen? Well, the Christian has a battle with his anger. Last week, this week, we're talking about the Christian's battle with his tongue. It's hard to control. I see what it can do. I see the effect it can have and how I can prevent problems and try to get a bridle on that tongue and hold some restraints in and doing the best I can I've got to keep my hands on the reins. If we have to conclude anything from this study, I hope you walk away with this conclusion. That every one of us can work harder at being more careful about what we say, how we say it, and to whom we may say it. And if we accomplish that, our time has been well spent. There may be one or more present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and sing?